Everything that happens meaningful has three components to it, a plan, a budget, and a schedule. Everything in the world built with a plan, a budget, schedule. So the same thing needs to happen with your business. I see guys just, and I've done it, flailing around just every day looking for the answer. Maybe that's my gem. Maybe that's my gem. Not Maybe that's my gem. Well, it takes a thousand gems. So the best way to go get your thousand gems in place is get a plan, budget, schedule to start putting them in, in place when they should be in place. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your hosts, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste No Day podcast. Your host, Nate and Brian, hanging out with you once again on this new week. And we are excited to invite back to the show the titan of the industry, Ken Goodrich, is joining us again for the Grit It Takes to Grow Part 2. And we're looking forward to having a great conversation with him today. But before that, we're going to have a little bit of a breakdown ourselves. We're going to turn to Brian for our quote. A ship is always safe at the shore, but that is not what it is built for. Linda Kaplan Thaler. Nice. I like that one, Brian. And I think that kind of embodies the idea we do here about wasting no day. And, you know, taking a ship to shore has its purposes and there's time for rest. But the main idea of what we do and what we're supposed to be doing, what we are called to, is to be out in the rough seas. And sometimes that's a little bit rougher than we like it to be. Yeah, rough seas aren't pleasant, but keeping your ship at the shore is so much more unpleasant it's like safe so there's no like uh immediate terror to be worried about in terms of like sticking your neck out and trying something new and asking that client one more time and facing that rejection and facing that no and just you know trying something attempting something giving it your all for something regardless of what the consequences are going to be in terms of failure but it's but there's an upside, like even if you even if you fail, even if you don't succeed that first time, there's an upside in you went for it and you actually grow from that. Like it's getting on the the bench and trying to bench, you know, uh, your max bench, like the the most you've ever benched one time, and you struggle with it for say five seconds before you finally give your spotter the look and and the spotter pulls the weight off you and racks it. Even though you don't get that weight on the rack, there's growth there. Like your tendons, your joints, your muscles are, they're just going nuts right now. Your nervous system's like, what in the world was all this weight? And providing you get appropriate rest and you put some extra calories in your body and appropriate hydration, get some water in you, you are, you're stronger. Like every part of you is stronger for having tried to do that. Even if you fail, even if it, you know, you dropped it not dropped it, but, you know, lowered it until your spotter picked it up and helped you out. And that is the same with, I mean, we'll say selling, like whatever you're trying to do, trying to accomplish, getting out there and actually doing it. If it's selling, you're just asking for the business or asking one more time for that business. And 
you might get a no and you might get kicked out of the house, but the fact that you pushed yourself outside that comfort zone that you set your ship to sail and, you know, went out there and became a better sailor or captain or what have you, you are growing and becoming a better, more skilled person as a result. Where if you just leave that ship docked and you don't ever try to do anything, well, what happened to so many of the people who, who pressed the easy button during COVID? We all know someone. We all probably know many people who took that easy way out and got that unemployment and had all the excuses in the world why they oh, I just can't work, you know. I just it won't work for me. I can't do it. But they're meanwhile they're hammering that government check and staying at home during that time. They're putting on weight. They're getting slower. They're getting fatter. They're getting dumber. It's like not like they're sitting at home learning, playing freaking video games or whatever. They're just they're aging. And not aging in a good way. You know, they're not even getting wisdom. They're just it's that ship was sitting at the harbor doing nothing but getting older and, and more broken down. And the people who said, nah, screw that, man. I might make a little bit less money to be working when I could get some ridiculous government payout to stay home. Uh, assuming you had a job that wasn't actually shut down. And if you're in the skilled trades, you could have been working. I'm, I don't care what you do. You pr- pretty much could have been working. Uh, those people, man, they didn't, they didn't get better. They didn't get healthier. They didn't get anything good. Uh, they got a few checks that they completely burned on whatever they burned it on, but they're gone. And that is what happens when you try to play it safe and keep your ship at the harbor. It's, not, it's just not going to help you. Much better off to take that risk, take that chance. Go for it. That reminds me, Brian, of uh, Lord of the Rings, actually, which is one of my favorite uh, all-time movies, and in, in the uh, Lord of the Rings, there's a scene where one of the kings of the horse land, I, I think that's Rowan, um, he gets infected and basically like he's, he starts turning inside, like he must protect his borders. And it's all about all about closing off his kingdom and not going to help anybody else despite what's going on and despite why. And it's an infection. And it's not until he gets released from that infection, that that evil that he can see more clearly and see that there's other things, there's bigger things to pursue, there's other people to help out. And we, when we get in that selfish mindset, man, that is the ugliest version of ourselves. When we get in that, it's all about me, it's all about what I want to do, it's all about I'm going to get mine, I'm going to go home, I'm going to, I'm going to whatever <clears throat> to satisfy you know my needs, my wants. We're missing out, and it turns us into the ugliest version of ourselves. Confession time. I was dealing with this over the weekend. I got in a bad mood. I started, I started thinking about myself. I started thinking about you know my wants, my needs, what I deserved, all this stuff. And it came out on my wife, and it came out on my kids. And they had to reap you know, not only just a grumpy husband and dad, but somebody who was overreactive, you know, just quick and harsh with words and answers and, and, and all this stuff unnecessarily. For what? Why? What did they do? They didn't deserve that. But that's me all up in myself being selfish and thinking about only what I need, what I deserve. And it's an ugly, it's one of the ugliest versions of myself. And that's the same mindset that basically says like, hey, 
I know this ship is is built for the water, but that dry dock over there looks really comfortable. And I'm going to go jump in there and we'll worry about the water some other time. And that's what we've got to fight against, y'all. That's that's the thing that we can't allow ourselves to slip into. And Ken is a great guest who knows a lot about resisting the levels of comfort and pursuing the difficulty, pursuing that with grit, you know, the just raw determination to make sure that he is going to get somewhere and make something of himself in this opportunity. Yeah, you'd think he has a hard time with comfort, but I actually uh, hung out with him at, at the Pheasant Club smoke shop a couple times back in the day. Uh, and he can get pretty comfortable, but man... He does not like stagnation. He was the one who always said, you're green and growing or brown and dying. There's no standing still. I don't know if that was his quote. I should ask him one of these times. But I'm afraid he'll say, no, it's not his quote. And then I've just been misquoting him all this time. So I'd rather <laughs> just just misquote him on accident than, uh, you know, not be able to do it anymore. But, um, yeah, well, the first you know, time. I, you know what the great Michael Scott said? What's that? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah. Uh, Wayne, Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky, Michael, Michael Scott. Scott. <laughs> So the first time I was there, he, he, I was on my way home from my last call and he called me and I showed up in my work truck, which is like one of these wrapped box trucks, you know, and in uniform. And I'm just walking into it. Like you just open the glass door and you walk in 20 feet and there are just some comfortable looking chairs and, you know, it's a cigar shop. There's like a wall of cigars and just some, some dudes sitting around smoking cigars, chatting. And I go walking up to him. He's like, hey, man, you, uh, you're in uniform, huh? And I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, but you're not wearing booties. And I'm like, mm-hmm. We're in, a, we're in a cigar shop. He's like, yeah. Why don't you go get your booties? <laughs> I was like, <sighs> I'm looking at the chair next to him. Like, I could probably fling this thing at him and be at my truck before he gets up, you know, <laughs> on my way home to clean it out. <laughs> Like for real so I'm, I'm like all right so i went back out got my booties came back in put my booties on and then walked up to the chair and sat down and enjoyed it actually i think my probably my first uh good cigar that i had ever had I mean, maybe my first cigar that was well you know, that was actually filled with tobacco <laughs> one of those candy so. candy yeah. cigars yeah, yeah 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 the candy ones <laughs> uh i think enjoyed my first cigar but for certainly my first nice cigar with him, and he just kind of went into, you know, why if you're in uniform with boots on and you're walking into any establishment that has like a carpeted floor, you want to be known as the person, you want the brand to be known as the brand and the people who wear floor protectors. Period. Like he's like, if you're going into a Walmart, that's a different story. Like you'd be walking around without your shirt on. Yeah, there's a bunch of potential clients in this place, higher end clients that see me come in in full uniform and uh it it makes perfect sense i mean we we keep boxes of floor protectors here at the shop when you come in you put the floor protectors on before you even come in the building i mean you're supposed to it's not that they actually do but you will see a tech about once a week vacuuming up the hallway where he just tracked mud all over it so there's that so um the the principle that he taught me there, like so many little things over those years that as I worked for Ken, that he had these little, you know, he did these little things like that, but I, it wasn't enough for me to either storm off and leave. Like I kind of wanted to okay, throw a chair at him and storm off and leave like I wanted to, or just come in and smile and put the shoe covers on. It's like, why? 
what's up, boss? Why'd you make me do that? That was embarrassing, you know? And he would go into detail about, for one, I wanted always at top of mind awareness for you. For two, this, this is a place where you're showing off what we do as a company. And he was absolutely right. And uh, I can't thank him enough, and I can't wait to thank him some more for all the small life lessons like that that I learned. That's a great word there, Brian, and certainly more lessons to come as we get ready to put him in your passenger seat. But before that, it's time for a review of the week. Goldmine, coming to you from the garage door industry. There are so many practical golden nuggets throughout the episodes. I started a drive folder marking episode, time, and subject matter to utilize during our sales training meetings. The podcast inspired a new company goal of having a $1 million producer within two years. Thank you, Nate and Brian. Oh, Nate and Brian. What kind of nonsense is this? <laughs> Best review ever. Not only does it not make sense if you actually listen to the show, but it doesn't even make sense alphabetically. What are you doing, Jay? Uh, time to get to work and waste no day. Jay Mead 5 I don't know what garage door company he's, well, you know. I'd like to think it was A1. Uh, shout out, Tommy. That's right. <laughs> shout out to Tommy if uh, if, the, if Jay Mead works at A1 Garage Doors. If not, Jay, yo, shoot me a Facebook message and we'll uh, we'll read the, your company name out there because now I'll, f- I'll feel bad, you know. Uh, either way, thank you for the, the gold mine of a review. We appreciate the five stars. And if you want to shoot us a thank you, Without actually sending us a message, if you get something good out of the show, all we ask, we have nothing to sell you. How cool is that, man? At this point, we don't even make you listen to a commercial to listen to this show. Zero commercials, zero stuff to sell you. Although, in 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 light of the fact that you know my album is dropping sometime this year, look, there might Will be Chirp's some, album drops. <laughs> some commercials I'm, coming. I'm gonna want every download of the podcast better equal a purchase of the CD, and I do mean CD, <laughs> the Spotify nonsense, uh, or or vinyl. He's gonna drop it on vinyl too. Yeah, man, taking it back. But nothing to sell you. We don't make you suffer through a commercial. Uh, do us a solid and uh, light us up with a nice five star review on Apple. Um, if you write something too and uh, put your name in there, we will eventually read it. We will eventually read them all, even if it gets to the point where we got to read two or three an episode. I'll just start doing it faster. And uh, it's how we grow the show, man. It's how the show grows. It's how we get a bigger audience. It's how we're able to get more and bigger guests that you've heard of. It's, it's all it has so much to do with the amount of Apple reviews. So also Spotify helps. If you're on Spotify, just up top left corner, click that five star. Uh, either way, if you can't do it, shoot me a Facebook message or what have you. Um, we appreciate you listening. And with that, we are going to put Ken Goodrich in your passenger seat. Our guest today is returning. His name is Ken Goodrich, and he needs very little introduction. He currently is serving as the CEO of Ghetto Air Conditioning based out of Las Vegas and Phoenix and uh, several other areas, I believe. He is the experienced chief executive officer with a demonstrated track record of business turnarounds, rapid growth, and value creation. As a young boy and a native Las Vegan, Ken Goodrich often was by his father's side when he made calls for his air conditioning business. Today, he owns Ghetto Air Conditioning, 
which is well into the triple million dollars worth of business. We are proud to welcome him back to the show. Welcome here, Ken. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Always great to talk to you again, Ken. And um, I want to just say we're going to speed right in things today because we have about 45 minutes and we don't want to keep you any longer than we have to, as Stephen told me that we would all be in trouble with Wendy if that happened. And I'm not looking forward to that. So yeah. if you need to get caught up... I'm actually out walking right now, so I hope you can hear me okay. Oh, yeah, I got to get steps in. Yeah, we can hear you great. And I know the... Um, the group you invited me to talks all about what the walk is and the walk. Well, why don't you tell us what the walk is real quick, Ken? Well, you know, I've been, uh, I've been trying to, well, I've been working on, you know, keeping my health straight down the middle. And, you know, one of the ways I kind of got it there, well, I got it there was walking every single day. And so I have a morning routine where I try to knock out some of my business meetings, just, uh, with my headphones on and walking, makes the time go fast, kind of gets me up and, you know, the blood pumping for the morning gets me uh, just more awake and alive and ready to go. So sometimes I walk and just do about an hour and I do a couple calls. Sometimes I get engrossed and stuff and I'm out walking for two and a half hours. But, you know, through this process back to the COVID days, I wasn't going to the office much and I was walking like this. And along with diet and some other life choice changes, lost 100 pounds. Wow. So anyway, we got this uh, kind of a Facebook group going uh, called The First Step with Ken Goodrich. And what we do is many, many hundreds of owners and key people in the industry get out, walk every day. They record their walk. They record some of their workout, put a post it, encourage each other, talk a little bit about it. You know, just kind of a way for one, all of us to keep each other accountable and keep us moving and, you know, just share best practices. Best, but I will best tell practices you, is health-wise. Because my, yeah, health-wise. But, you know, that said, I will say, because my name's on the group, it makes it makes me get up every morning and do it. That's uh, great. I can't let my people can't can't let my people down. That's some nice accountability, Ken. Yeah. All right. So, listeners, if you need to get caught up on where we're at, uh, this would be the grit it takes to grow part two. The grit it takes to grow part one was uh, anywhere you can download a podcast, the Waste No Day podcast from November seventh, two thousand twenty-two. So we're going to hop right into part two here with, um, before we do, <laughs> I wanted to, to, uh, I wanted to share something with you. I didn't know if you knew just to talk a little bit about, so everyone knows Ken is like kind of a hard driving, uh, businessman and they should know him as that because it's, you know, to my knowledge, that's who Ken is, but Ken also has mentored so many people in the industry, myself included. Um, but besides that, I know, I don't, you probably won't remember this, but we had a contest for, um, handwritten client letters, like one month between the yes, plumbing and heating and air departments, whoever got the most handwritten client letters got, um, to take their spouse to dinner on the company. And do you remember the steakhouse we used to go to back in the gold inner days? The, the main one. Yep. <clears throat> the golden steer. Yep. The golden steer. So, uh, I won. And I think, I think you just gave cash. I don't think it was a gift card, but it was to take Amelia uh, to a nice upscale steak dinner. And I took Amelia to that dinner. We actually talked about it again last night. I don't think you knew that was our first ever upscale steak dinner together. We're, I'm 24. She's 20. And uh, at that point we had never been to a high-end steak dinner together. I think you gave us $250 to have a dinner and that was it. So now I'm like a steak fanatic. So I appreciate you starting us off there. Oh, good. I, I start you up, started you off the right foot. 
<laughs> but yeah, those letters, you know, remember that we had walls and walls and walls of handwritten letters from customers thanking us for our service. And uh, kind of wish we, I mean, handwritten is kind of going away, but uh, kind of wish we still did that because if you remember, like our all of our hallways, everything were just lined with these thank you letters. And it was very motivating to the team. Very motivating. Whenever, uh, whenever somebody got down and kind of got in a slump or just a funk or, you know, just kind of gets that, you know, I don't know what I'm doing here. I got beat up on a review and my life is over. And, um, you guys would send us to the wall to go start reading our old letters about what our other clients said about us. It was very impactful. And then the way to get the letters, cause you know, Vegas is a very tip heavy town. Uh, your GM at the time, Lance would, would, coach us to say when someone tries to give you, you know, if it's a hundred dollars, you'll probably take the hundred dollars. But if it's five or 10 say, Hey, if you really want to do me a favor, here's a, here's a stamped addressed envelope to the shop, sit down, take out a pen and paper and write out what you thought of my service today and just drop it in the mail and let my manager see it. And that's actually how I won that contest. I did that to everyone I saw. Great job, man. You were always a great student. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. <laughs> you know, listen, I, I got to tell you this. Success really is not that difficult. I know we all toil over it, success and what to do. It's really not that difficult. It's just showing up and doing the things you know that you're supposed to do. Really, it's all it is. But, you know, when you boil it down to that, it's like me walking every day or, or everybody on the group walking every day. I chose walking because I knew I would do it. I've failed so many times at gyms and gym memberships and personal trainers and blah, blah, blah. And the 42 coat racks that I have, they're disguised as treadmills. <laughs> 42. But, wow. <laughs> but it's just, it's really just about making sure you get up and go do it. And it's not that difficult to say to the customer, if you enjoyed our service, would you mind putting put it in writing so that we can teach all of our people to provide the same service or make sure the next person that comes over your house from our company knows what you expect. I love that. How yeah. hard is that? But, you know, even that's, even that's that way fight. of asking for it is like innovative. Even that way to say it, not like so other people know. And so we can, you know, gain more clients, but to train with it, even that's an innovative, innovative way to put it. Yeah. But you know, it's really about mastering, you know, this negotiation that goes on your mind on this negotiation that goes on with you in your mind every single day about what you are, and are not going to do what you're willing to do or not do. And most of the things that it takes to be successful are not that difficult. It's just really about not being, not negotiating with yourself whether you should do it or not, especially when things are pretty easy to do, like get out and walk three miles, and you think, well, maybe I'll squeeze it in later with this negotiation. No, you won't. Just get it done and get it knocked out. Same thing with everything else in business. I, I agree. I like how I segued that one. I agree with you, Ken. And, and there is, you know, so much success to be had just by doing the right things. Yet, I think some of us, we start getting in our own heads or we forget, or maybe we're naive or maybe we're just inexperienced as terms to what the right things are. In fact, right now, you know, I, I feel like the trades is kind of going through a bit of a reset where we've had two or three years of just kind of, you know, all out, walls down, uh, pedal to the metal type stuff where people were working out of their homes in COVID and everybody wanted their house to be their haven. And now we're going through some, you know, financial reconfiguration, so to speak. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are feeling the impact of that. So what are the right things that we should be focusing on right now to have that success? Well, let me start by this. I don't think there is any hundred percent right path. It's just, you got to have a path. You got to have a plan. 
and you got to be working on the plan. You know, I see all these guys on these Facebook groups, you know, kind of trying to pick out the gems and what they should be doing first. A lot of guys contact me every day and, you know, everyone picks the fun, easy one first, right? Let's go get a fancy truck wrap and a new logo. That's first. And then they, um, you know, get some swag and then maybe they install service Titan, you know, kind of the same routines that go on. But at the end of the day, really what everybody needs to do is get in, get some education and get some sort of system in place to start implementing their businesses to grow it and scale it. Everything that, everything that happens meaningful has three components to it, a plan, a budget, and a schedule. Plan, budget, schedule, plan, budget, schedule. Everything in the world built with a plan, a budget, schedule. So the same thing needs to happen with your business. And I, you know, I see guys just, and I've done it, flailing around just every day looking for the answer. Maybe that's my gem. Maybe that's my gem. Not maybe that's my gem. Well, it takes a thousand gems. So the best way to go get your thousand gems in place is get a plan, budget, schedule to start putting them in, in place when they should be in place. You know, I've been telling people a lot lately, if you're not in some sort of best practice group, you're doomed. It's almost impossible just to figure out a business that you don't know anything about. And your only framework is, you know, watching what the last dips that you worked for did. That's not a business plan. That's not an education. And not to mention the fact, most people don't even absorb everything that they do every single day and understand the why behind it. So how can you implement it yourself for your own company? I really think it's extremely important for everybody to try to be in one or three best practice groups and, and be able to gather the information, be in some sort of coaching or classroom environment where you can knock out these business systems and get them in place, as well as be surrounded by a community of people um, that, that are willing to help where you can bounce ideas off of. You guys are part of a one-hour franchise, correct? That's right. And that's a form of a best practice group, right? That you know, you, you came in, in with Absolutely. documented systems, you implement the system, you got a community to work with, and you know, you have an order of operations on when to implement those systems. So and you know, at certain sizes you do this and at certain number of people you do that. But how you know, I don't know how anyone's gonna get their arms around that now and try to do it on their own. It's almost impossible. And the competition is so much more stiff competition is is growing that's for sure so ken one of the gems you know that every home services person will face in their life in their career multiple times most likely is lacking of calls and lacking of texts and brian phrased it this way earlier today you know it's a chicken and egg scenario which do we focus on first do we focus on getting more chickens so that we can have eggs or do we focus on getting more eggs so that we can have more chickens i'll turn that around to say Which do we focus on first? Do we need to get more calls so that we can hire more techs? Or do we need to hire more techs and then go find more calls? Uh, It's it's a machine. It has to happen simultaneously, right? Unless you got a whole bunch of cash that you're willing to burn and hire people who don't have a lot to do and pay them, it pretty much has to kind of happen at the same time. You have to always have this people factory going on in every position, right? So, and I would, I would kind of look at it like, I'm going to, you know, that'll be my first driver. My first driver is how many people can I get out and put out and, and train people can I put out in the truck? Then I got to go find the leads for them, which so, is more difficult every single day, as you know. But um, Okay, so you have two legs. You're walking right now. One of your legs has to go first, either, even though you know you're going to use both of your legs to do the walking. It sounds to me like 
you would go after the calls first to make sure you could secure that. And then your other leg, the techs are going to come with you. I think I would kind of do it at the same time, but you know, no, I would start developing the tech. Okay. And, and, and by which case, you know, you force yourself, all right, I now have these guys, I need to find work for them. Yep. It's tough to, if you've never spent any time in, I'll even say in this organization with us or with Ken himself or in some of these higher level organizations out there, it's tough to imagine, you know, we have this policy here. We, you know, we're, we're poised to do 40 million this year. We had this policy in place when we were doing 7 million, which is if, if we get a good person in that conference room, we make room, we will find calls for them. And it's tough to see that as being a working strategy. But if you know Ken, and if you spend any time with him and understand how ferocious he is about filling a schedule, um, and I don't know how much you have to do with that day-to-day stuff anymore, but I know when I knew you, when we were around each other, I would see you walk into the call center and just see how much busier everyone got all of a sudden. And I would hear you say like, I, I was one of your high producing plumbers and I'm just hanging out at the office. And you would say to someone, why isn't Brian at a call? And, and they would say, we don't have any plumbing calls. And I, I remembered you specifically saying, well, we have, you know, 20 people going to HVAC calls today, get him in a complimentary plumbing maintenance. And I remember the first time I heard that, I'm like, wow, like, <laughs> You know, the innovation at that, that's like 2004. Like who was doing that kind of thing then? But uh, when he says both at the same time, you picture him on a pogo stick, right, Nate? Yeah. <laughs> when, he says, when he says both at the same time, he means it. And uh, if you're dead serious about growing your business, you mean it. You know, if you're really serious about growing your business, you know, contrary to, contrary to uh, uh, recent developments on Facebook, club memberships are not dead, you know. If you really want to build a sustainable long-term business, one of your disciplines that you execute from day one as you're gathering your technicians training and getting up speed is figure out a way to get large quantities of club memberships sold and get those in place. I mean, if you think about, you know, every club gives you at least two calls. If you have plenty, maybe three calls. If you, if you could amass, do the math, if you could amass 3,000 club memberships fast, um, even before you even had one test. If you could figure out a way to go to an insurance company, go to a utility, go somewhere, a homeowner's association, something, and sign up 3,000 club members before you ever had a test, then you start developing your technicians to do the perfect customer service, the perfect uh, maintenance, you know, perfect hurt overall, whatever, however you want to execute your business. You, you've poofed yourself an $8 to $10 million business overnight with you know, where... You're not trying to fight every Tom, Dick, and Harry for a lead through the digital space. All you have to do is take care, schedule them well, and take care of your customers. And that is so, so- again, that's another discipline that needs to be executed. Everyone's worried about getting the calls, getting the calls, get the club. Totally agree with you. you. Know, I, there, I, was, Ken. I was talking to Jimmy Stevens, who um, who uh, created software. Sarah owned a company that was kind of patient zero for all this roll-up stuff that's been going on. You know, he was the first guy who went out and got an investment banker in a PE group and everything else called Berkey's in Dallas. He's the one who started all this recent, over the last five years, roll-up going on. And then he started the software, Sarah. But um, I was talking to him the other day. He said that the, the biggest metric that he looks at every single day in his business is how many clubs got sold uh, and, and certainly got uh, turned over to see what his net gain, because he knows every time he gets one, that's $30,000 uh, 
revenue and do his business over the life cycle of the customer. It's kind of like that kind of keeps you focused, right? Absolutely. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, but, uh, you know, one, he who owns the labor wins. If you own the labor, you win. If you got the labor there when it's, when the need is there, you win. Two, if you want to make that more manageable, make sure you got, you, you have them booked out or contracted out before they show up. Make sure you got the work from before they show up in a club membership program. And then, you know, always perfect your lead gen techniques for new customers and try to balance that flow of train techs and growth, techs and trucks growth with your lead gen capabilities. But listen, if you do kind of start where this whole conversation started, if you do one or the other, it's seesaw, right? You have those pauses of, oh, I don't have enough techs, so I got to slow down the leads. And every time you slow down the leads, that's a risk. That you get enough techs, but I don't have enough leads. And the seesaw that goes backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards, it has to be a fluid movement between the two, management and lead generation. That's a great insight, Ken. And of course, you know, one of the biggest things in terms of the, the, the people side of that equation is locating good people to bring into your organization. And one of the things that, you know, everybody is trying to find is a superstar tech. They want somebody who's going to, you know, be the stallion, so to speak. Are you a big believer in stallions or are you a big believer in workhorses? Well, you know, I certainly have my share of stallions and, and always you're always kind of looking for those. But, you know, they're stallions. So they come with, you know, they come with a lot of extra work and, and drama sometimes. I just kind of like, like to get good, solid quality people like Brian, for instance, who just wants to be part of something, wants to have a future, not trying to rush it wants to be trained and, and becomes a company man. That's really what I found to be the best. You know, I certainly had stages in my career where I wanted to collect the, the big the big numbers people, uh, you know, the big sales guys, the great service techs, this and that. But, you know, it's, it, I mean, you see the sports teams over and over and over make the mistakes where they try to low up, load up with too much talent or extraordinary talent and they don't work because the culture doesn't work with the business because they're too egocentric. Like trying to have... I mean, look at Herschel Walker. Yeah. It's like ter- Herschel Walker, right? Terrell Owens and Randy Moss in the same locker room. Yeah. Now, don't don't get me wrong. I try to recruit every bit of talent I see every single day. Anybody that I know is talent, I'll always keep planting the seeds and I think everybody should do that. But I look for talent kind of outside the industry. You know, I look for... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. You know, you know the guys. They're not... They're not loud. They're not banging their chest all the time. They've kind of got an eagle eye look, you know, and they, they don't talk a lot, but they're determined. They want to accomplish something. Maybe they don't know where or where to go, but they've just got their mind. they got to accomplish something. Got a little grit, trainable, smart. That's the kind of guy I like. You know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Like a, um, like a, like a boat with... I don't know, all the, all the potential in the world and like no sail and you just need to put a sail on it. Exactly. It's like you, you see these young, and this is kind of my favorite thing to do in my position now, which is find somewhat, I'll say somewhat troubled, mostly young men, some young women, but by vast majority is men, um, somewhat troubled, rough upbringings, um, all the drive and, and the desire in the world and no idea what to do with it. It even tends to be largely um, either high school dropouts like myself or at least no, no college. And that's not to say there are positions also where we, where we found, found people from outside the industry um, for, for um, higher level management positions. But to give this type of person like you did for me so long ago, the opportunity 
to get into something where they know that there's a limitless potential and then just watch them go is like, it's like watching a great football game day after day after day as you see them start to figure it out. You know, I didn't see this in the beginning early in this management career, but now like you over and over again, I've seen over the past decade, I've seen these young men sprout up into superstars and um, you know, you, you see that you change somebody's life and you get cha- tagged in Facebook for it or, or see someone at the grocery store or whatever. And it's a, it's a huge thing, but you know, these guys, when you meet them, whether they have anything going on or not. And then let me add to that because we all do it. We all do it. We ruin them. We all ruin them because we as leaders aren't ready for that, for that task to, to really truly lead another human being down the right path. To, to realize their full potential. We're not ready. So we lead these people astray and we lead them in the wrong direction and ruin them. And here's what I'm talking about. We've all got the young guy who showed some promise, you know, good looking guy, a lot of, a lot of energy, wants to learn something. And then we put him in some sort of role where, where he can sell something and make a commission. He starts proving he can do that a bit. And then rather really focusing on his, his head game you know, really kind of coach them on his head game, managing the commission so we don't overpay them to where they start to believe their own bulls. And they all, all of them start to think that they're, you know, Zig Ziglar reincarnated, you know, the greatest salesman <laughs> on earth reincarnated the they can, <laughs> because they can sell a $10,000 air conditioner, you know, and we ruin these guys. And I see it time and time again. And I think we've evolved past that now, you know, we've evolved our system. so. You can't get ruined. All you can do is grow as a grow personally, make make incredible money. But you know you have to to you have to have a level of professionalism and discipline tied to your game, or it doesn't work here. But you know what I'm talking about how many guys we've ruined over the years, and you know I see them. We get them on their first. We bring them in. We get them focused on some sales. They start ringing the bell. We start glorifying them inside the company like they are the best part of the company because they're keeping us afloat with their sales. They're the ones who get the trips and the new trucks and all the nonsense while the other guys who are really putting up the money that's doing the work are kind of pushed aside. And then our new sales guy, we've hung him up on a pedestal so much. It's just natural for the human being to want to try to strive for more. So he starts talking to competitors and other buddies and starting to believe in he's worth more. And my wife says this, and it just turns into tragedy. And they never, never seem to really keep up the momentum after they leave your, leave the first place that taught them, right? Yeah. It's the age old story, the age old story over and over again. Yeah. And we've done it so many times. So what is, anyway, I guess I'm saying here, what's the strategy now? uh, Well, you know, we've created career development. Like this is the career development. You don't come in first day and, you know, get the opportunity to sell, for instance, or you don't get the opportunity to do certain things. You have to prove yourself over time. You have to prove yourself in terms of, you know, are you identifying with the cult and and acting within the company culture guidelines? Um, Are you teachable, trainable? How's your customer reviews? All that kind of stuff. And you're kind of, we take time. I guess really that's what it is. Take time to teach and train and mold these people instead of just throwing them out there and saying, sell something, donkey. Yeah. And it, and it, they seem to get all the attention, right, from from upper management. And it's true because they get all the accolades, but they really get the least amount of, typically, they tend to get the least amount of real leadership. Like they're already doing fine. So your average manager thinks I need to spend my time on the lowest 20%. 
and they get a lot of accolades and pats on the back for what they do, but they don't get a lot of investment in terms of growth and development in our industry typically. So, you know, when you're talking about building this business, though, there's just all these landmines that you can come up to. And it's all, I kind of came to this conclusion recently, recently, it's all, it goes back to the, uh, the children's story, the uh, the tortoise and the hare, right? It's really just the tortoise and the hare. You know the story, right? Oh yeah. Tortoise start. They start off on a race. Tortoise goes the speed of a tortoise. The hare is bouncing around. He's dropping off at the bar. He's hanging out with his friends because he's got plenty of time. He can jump back into it any time because he's faster and smarter than the tortoise. The tortoise, tortoise just plods along carefully and makes sure that every single step counts. He's not running all around sideways, lateral behind you know, in circles, he's just every step counts every single day. And at the end of the day, he wins the race. And that's the same deal. That's the same deal with business or anything else in life, I guess. But, uh, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. You get started out, you know, the first thing you want to do is state your next millions, how many millions you're going to do next year with no idea how you're going to get there or what it takes to get there. You don't have a coach. You don't have a system. You're just declaring out in the air, I'm going to do $5 million next year with no possible way or path to get there. And then you struggle and you make bad decisions. And then you start thinking, well, if I just have this super sales guy and I can pay him double, I'll pay him more than his other guys paying him uh, just to get him on the team. And he's going to make me, he's going to build my company for me. No, you may have like a temporary blip of progress, but it's false. The role, your role is to build the system. And you just hired basically your own owner. If you're going to build a company yeah, around one person. Yeah. So as we, so anyway, I guess, I guess it's really important that, you know, everybody needs to understand you gotta be in some sort of group. You have to be in some sort of pre- best practice group just to get it and understand it and have the community, like you said, to lean on other contractors. Like I can pick up the phone, pretty much call a uh, contractor in every single city now just for the network I've formed. Wow. So speaking of contractor groups, um, I put out to a couple different groups, if anyone wanted to ask you a question, and then we'll take a little straw vote of, of um, which questions we're going to ask. Greg Kowal, out of the uh, Residential Electric Business Services Group, asked a question, and I'm going to rephrase it for him a little bit. Uh, you know Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone was um, on a show where he was dropped off with no money, no contacts and had to build a million dollar business. Right. But let's change it up a little bit. Let's say Ken Goodrich, 35 years old, woke up tomorrow morning, 35 dropped off in uh, the Midwest somewhere. So maybe a little bit of weather swings into a business that was doing say one to $2 million a year in revenue. Now this could be plumbing HVAC electrical. It makes no difference to Ken because he has systems that work but no contacts and no real, you know, no, not your money. You know, you got like Nate's money here. So maybe a couple hundred dollars in the bank. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) And you have to take, you have to, you know, figure out how you're going to grow this business the way you do. What are, what are some things you start on? Well, day one, I would get their price book and do the math, make sure their price book was right. Because it never is, never right. And no one ever charges enough because they don't know their cost. The first thing I do is I'd put a meeting together, I'd bring everybody in, and I'd have them throw their price books in the trash. I guess now they're probably all on iPad, so wouldn't do that. I'd erase them and I put the new price book in, and then I'd spend the next couple of days telling them how to present our new price. So I'm a, I'm a sure I'm sure based on the scenario you gave me, I would double the size of the company with that one move. Now I'm a two and a half million dollar business, right? I would go out and do what I said earlier, 
go figure out how I can start gaining my club membership bases base at the rate of 250 to 500 a month and build that club membership and build the company culture and business systems around the uh, club membership, really narrowing down my marketing to focus around that club and what our maintenances are about and how we convert those to other certain sales opportunities. And I would start building the business from that scope. Obviously, you know, the fundamentals, plan, budget, schedule, and we, I would start administering the, the weekly routines around keeping track of that, that, uh, you know, we're executing the plan, we're still on budget and schedule, and I would grow it from there. I can't tell you, I can't even describe to you how many guys have contacted me. My first question is, what's your average replacement price? What are you charging your hourly rate for your flat rate service? And everybody's half of what they need to be. And I'd say, where did you get that price? You know, that's what my friend Joey down the street charges, which is, you know, probably not the business, best business strategy, right? Charge what the other guy charges. We should all know better by now. And just completely turn these businesses around by charging the right price. And a lot of guys get scared of that. I just say, look, instead of saying $8,400 next time, contour your mouth to say the word 12000 <laughs> and the customer will buy it. <laughs> anybody who anybody who bought for eighty four hundred dollars is going to buy for twelve because they bought from you. And I'm not advocating. This is not a pitch to overcharge. This is a pitch to charge the right amount. There's there's mathematics around this, and lots of places you can under find the mathematics around how to charge for our kind of business. Um, and even free, go to serviceroundtable.com. They got a whole section on people. Uh, uh, a spreadsheet that key in your cost. It'll tell you what your hourly rate should be for your service. How to build pricing, one hundred and one. Yeah. And last but not but anyway, least, the whole pricing game. The whole pricing game. I got to tell you, I had a guy contact me two years ago who said, you know, he was, you know, he was mid fifties and could never get his business to really grow much, and he's doing okay. He had a nice lifestyle, had a nice boat, you know, had some decent life. So this guy calls me a couple years ago, wants to know if he'd come out to Vegas and our operation and talk to me a, a bit and you know he had a decent business i don't know six eight million bucks revenue six eight million dollars in revenue uh just kind of tired you know wasn't going anywhere what she do she came out i had lunch with him i took a look i said your prices are too low you can't operate like this you can't cover your cost of doing business with this you have to push the price up and so he, you know, we went back and forth and he's talked about market and what everybody else's charges. It doesn't matter what everybody else charges. It's not a commodity. You know, every system's different. You got to go in and, and put your system together and sell your product. But I know this, you know, we talk about this private equity, all this private equity stuff going on. The number one question these guys ask, ask is, are you the premium price provider? Their targets are the premium price provider because they know those are the guys who are going to make money. Those are the guys going to be sustained business and know how to run a business. That's who that's who anyway, they're looking for in, in each market is the premium charged uh, service the premium provider. Premium price. Mm. And by the way, just because they're premium price does not mean they're overpriced. Just because they're premium price probably means that they just know the math. They know what they have to charge to make a profit. Hey, let's face it, guys. After tax, all of us are only making somewhere between $0.10 cents and $0.15 cents on the dollar after tax. I mean, not a lot to spare, no matter what you charge, really. So anyway, I start yeah, talking and, to the and, guy. And let's also, we, let's also point out that if you go become the premium service provider in your area and you don't bring premium service with it, you're going out of business like within a couple months. That's just all there is to it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. That, that has to work in hand. Anyway, look, long story short, the guy, he started exercising it. You know, I said, just try 
just try your first three leads tomorrow and tell me how it goes. So he calls me the next day, said, well, sold two out of three at the, at the new price. And I said, what would you typically sold? He goes, one out of three with the low price. <laughs> I said, well, let's just do more of that. Let's just do that. So anyway, he keeps doing it and doing it and perfecting it and talking to me here and there about it, about really how to keep the, um, to keep the, the uh, culture headed the right direction and keep the, the um, premium service up and going, things like that. Anyway, long story short, texted me the other day. He just sold his business for $50 million. Guy was ready to shut the doors, change the price. Really didn't do much other than that. Change the price, the service motive right. So it's a great business. Wow, that's amazing. So anyway, I guess what I'm saying is, look, if you're going to go into any sort of business, you probably ought to, you probably ought to take some uh, wisdom from Michael Gerber, who says the work of the business is not the business. The business is an overall system that provides a service to the customer and creates a profit. So if you don't understand that and you don't know have the tools to do that, go get the tools before you start. I think every anyone who's even contemplating getting in this business should go find the best practice group that they think that they have, you know, the the right stuff for them in terms of coaching and material and frequency of meeting and whatever it takes. And well, I guess what they can afford as well. I do that for a year before I ever got a truck, before I ever saw my first customer. I get the best practice group for a year and absorb the materials and build my plan budget schedule first. So you would, uh, you would want to at least read the book before you started taking the test. Yeah. Well, yeah. Or how about this one? Maybe we just read the instructions before we start putting our kids' Christmas toys together. Oh, I've made it 17 years without doing that, man. I'm not going to start now. (laughs) (laughs) So Oscar Santiago, big supporter of the show. We appreciate you, brother. Uh, From the Waste No Day podcast group on Facebook asked, where do you see the industry heading in the next five to 10 years if it's any different than it is today? Well, obviously, there's a lot more money put in the industry. So a lot of guys got a lot more to lose. They got deeper pockets. And so competition is obviously going to increase. And it's increasing now. Uh, That said, well, it's increasing now. And I would say the business models may change because we're going to have a different set of eyes on the business models. You know, for the most part, many of us operate very similarly. You can go to franchise, the best practice group, the guy who made it on his own, who worked for somebody else. They're all fundamentally fundamentally the same. There's some cubicles with some girls answering the phone and run on a script and saying it's a great day, blah, blah, blah. They see the information and type dispatch call, you know, it's really the same stuff. I think we're gonna see a lot more technology introduced, which is supposed to provide easier service, better service to the customer. So we'll see if that takes. That'll be a challenge for guys who aren't keeping up on that. I think that the labor market is going to continue to be more and more difficult. And, you know, guys who aren't well capitalized aren't going to be able to attract a lot of labor or certainly the high quality labor. Everybody has rooms for the convicts, I guess. But, uh, you know, the solid labor is going to go where the money is, where the culture is, where the future is, where the foundation is. So I think that'll prove more much more challenging. We already see it in our major markets. Uh, lead generation is getting a little more tougher, a lot more competitive. Got guys, you know, really out there hungry to grow their businesses fast. That's another thing is that, you know, private equity, uh, you know, they're coming in paying premiums for the business with the understanding that we'll grow past my investment thesis. So, you know, I'm going to pay, I'm just making up a number here. I'm going to pay 12 times earnings for that business which does not yield me much in terms of a return on investment. 
it doesn't yield me, you know, better than, you know, it yields me a couple points, percentage points on my money a year, not 10 or 20. So they have to grow it, right? They got to grow the base so they get back to where the cash flow is up where they need to be. More cash flow, more RI, more value to the company, they can flip and sell the company. Or they can keep it and just make it a cash flow machine. But the point is, is that their motive is to grow. Most of us, most people in our industry want to grow, especially at their smaller stages. But I think everybody hits a place of complacency and, you know, where, hey, this is good enough, comes to a lifestyle business, you know, I want to come in at 10, I want to have long lunches, I want to take, you know, three months off a year. Those companies will be in jeopardy because their competitors are are fiercely trying to grow at 30% every year. So competition's going to get competition's going to get increased. It's going to require us uh, I'll just call it, you know, tradesmen businessmen to step up and reeducate ourselves. Going right back to what I started with, you really need to get into a, some sort of best practice group. Keep up. Yeah, it's a, it's so important to have not only people at your level, but slightly ahead of you and then even way ahead of you, which most, you know, uh, higher end franchises like we're part of and the best practices, best practices groups have. That's a really important thing to be able to do is like see, you know, jump in your DeLorean and hit 88 miles an hour and see where you should be in 10 years and how you would get there by going to see how someone else already did it. It's like, for me, it's the best part about being in this franchise. Yeah. I've learned a lot that way. And I'll tell you, like, there's different market conditions. I've really, for, for decades, really enjoyed being the, the big dog in several different businesses in Vegas because the, the competition was never that tight. You know, I'm the guy that's up till midnight reading every article in the trades magazine. You know, I'm the guy who's absorbing everything on the internet every night to make sure that we stay ahead and we play the game at, to the A-game status. So I always enjoyed the lead dog in Vegas. And while we still are, competition's getting getting you know much more sophisticated than I've ever seen there. I'm still confident there. I don't I don't think uh, I think we'll we'll stand up and we'll compete just like we always do in Phoenix, for instance. So when I showed up and I showed up in Phoenix in 2001, so 22 years ago, I've been doing business in Phoenix. It's always been a more competitive environment. Much sharper operators in Phoenix, Arizona than Las Vegas. And now, you know, most of them, the better operators are fortified with, you know, they've got big war chests now with their PE partners. So it's even going to get tougher. But I've learned a lot by being in the more competitive environment of Phoenix. And, you know, faring well, we've always been one of the main players in Phoenix, but certainly not the top. So I guess to round all this whole question up, competition is going to get tougher. You got to be on your A game. And your A game is not about being cheaper. It's not about being a better tradesman. It's being about it's being a better business person and operating a business within a business system, building your system. You guys still hear me? We got you, Ken. And that's a really great place to wrap up. I know you're a busy guy and you have a meeting that you got head into. Great place to end it there with, you know, with no restraint, the muscles will not grow. And with no competition, we can't get better. Uh, as quickly as we could by just pressing ourselves. So it's it's good to have that restraint. It's good to have that that weight that we have to we have to uh, push against to make ourselves better. Thanks so much for stopping by the show today. We'd love to do some more with you at another time, uh, but I know you're on a tight schedule today. We really appreciate everything that you've brought to our listener base already. And it's always great to talk to you, Ken. And I look forward to seeing you again soon. Hey guys, I really appreciate what you're doing and everything you're doing for uh, my fellow tradesmen. Just keep banging the drum that, you know, sharpen your saw. It's, it's about the business system. 
And by the way, let me, I saw this uh, the other day and I took a picture of it. It's a nice quote. A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. When you go back and listen to this episode, because uh, I know you do because your business is successful, otherwise it wouldn't be, uh, you'll, you'll love the quote that we open up with. I know you haven't heard it yet. <laughs> okay, cool. Thanks, Ken. Have a great afternoon. All right, thanks. Hey, what a great way to uh, wrap up that show there with a, a great quote from Ken that he saw, you know, a smooth sea doesn't make a skilled sailor. And I know it may seem like the sea is feeling pretty wild these days and you're trying to figure out what to do. Ken gave some great insights uh, into what we should be focusing on now, but even just the reminder to go back to the basics, have a plan, have a budget and have a timeline and figure out what you want to do and how you're going to get there. It doesn't take as much as you think to be successful. Just keep doing the right things and do them well and continue progressing every day. We hope this podcast is helping you do that. And we're really excited to have Ken on this time and hope to have him on another time in the future to continue the conversation. Well, we hope this podcast uh, has served as a great way to keep you doing the right things and to strengthen you. And we want to leave you now with the same challenge that we do every single week, which is to choose to wake up each and every morning and waste no day. 